Welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Phantom Troublemaker, and it is still October, which means it is still... Thirty-one Days of Halloween! That's right, Needless Things is still rocking and rolling with all things creepy, kooky, mysterious, spooky, and Halloweeny for a couple more weeks. Well, a couple more weeks in a day. Because Halloween is on a Monday this year, which is, of course, the lamest day that Halloween could possibly be on. But be sure to visit NeedlessThingsSite.com for, uh, we're going to have a few spooky articles up on Halloween day just to keep things nice and spooky. And it will be immediately followed by 30 days of Thanksgiving. Not not really. No, we we won't be doing that. Uh, but we do have a couple more weeks of spooky stuff to cover, so NeedlessThingsSite.com and the Needless Things podcast will be here for your spooky needs. And, and I want to be sure that you guys are also visiting other great Halloween sites. Uh, the biggest one for me personally is DinosaurDracula.com and the Purple Stuff podcast. I, I want to put both of those guys, uh, or both, well, uh, yeah, there are two guys on the podcast, so both of those guys is appropriate, but DinosaurDracula.com. Uh, the guy that runs that is part of the reason why I'm doing everything that I do now and is also one of those people that, you know, I'll read his stuff and I'll be like, hey, why do I bother? Because he's just that good, that funny, and that that naturally entertaining and gifted. Hey, Phantomaniacs, it's once again time to stop and acknowledge one of the great sponsors that keep the Needless Things podcast free for you each and every week. Do you need footage for a film project? If you're making a documentary, a biopic, or you even just need to throw together a reel to freak out your friends at your next party, I have got your one-stop shop for all of your footage needs. Visit wherethehectdidthiscomefrom.net and browse their massive selection of discovered films, videos, and stills. From VHS to 8mm, every format is here. Do you need shaky video of a demon circumcision? Got it. Shots from a cell phone camera of an alien autopsy? Check us out. 8mm film of an escaped government research project. We are on that shit. Where did this stuff come from? We don't want to know. Visit wherethehectdidthiscomefrom.net right now and enter the promo code PHANTOM to get one free clip for every three clips you purchase. That's right, four clips for the price of three. If you need weird, inexplicable crap that could potentially get you hunted down by a cult, the U.S. government, or possibly even an extraterrestrial menace, go to wherethehectdidthiscomefrom.net and enter the promo code PHANTOM. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about found footage. That's right, it's a subgenre of not just horror, but other genres as well. Uh, we focus on horror. My guests are Beth returning to the show and our first timer, Doc Rotten from Horror News Radio, who uh, really fit right in with us, it got what we do here. Uh, you never know when you've got a new person on if they're going to be. Uh, you know, a, de a detail type guy, which, as you guys know, if you if you've listened to the show before, you know we're not 
we, we do not run down lists of facts. We talk about opinions. We, we share fond memories, things like that. Uh, and Doc Rotten fit right in. I was thrilled to have him on the show, and, and me and Beth had a great time talking to him, and I think you guys are going to enjoy it as well. But found footage is something that I've uh, sort of recently realized I really like when it's done well. Uh, and it, it takes very specific things to come off the right way, and we talk about that uh, during the, the panel portion of this episode. I think you guys will have a good time listening to it. So what else is going on Halloween-wise? Uh, once again, I want to put over The Exorcist. Uh, I absolutely love this show. It's my my favorite show that has started this year. Uh, but I also, and it's not necessarily Halloween-y, but uh, Westworld. I really, really like Westworld, and I'm going to cover it right now, even though it's not a Halloween thing. Uh, if you've seen the original movie, and it could be up there. I mean, it's a science fiction movie, but it certainly has horror aspects to it. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend the movie. Uh, and this is not not a remake or, or whatever. It's just a, a re-adaptation of the concept. And it does it in the way that only HBO can do. It's very HBO-y, uh, by which I mean there's uh, there's sexy stuff, there's violence, and there is intrigue. So much intrigue. So I'm really enjoying Westworld on HBO, and I recommend it. Uh, Exorcist is my favorite new show of the season, and American Horror Story I am still enjoying. My deal, and we talk about this a little bit at the very end because I wanted to talk to Beth and uh, Doc Rotten about Exorcist and American Horror Story. So there's actually a tag at the end after we we do the yeah, "Hey, what are you guys up to online?" Uh, bit, but just to to make sure you guys hear it, uh, American Horror Story I feel like is doing a good job this season. I don't love it as much as I loved last season. Uh, but I am enjoying it. They they do still have me, and they had a major switch up last night after we were done recording, uh, which I found to be very effective. And that's all I can say about it. But after you get done listening to this episode, if you have seen that episode of American Horror Story, the one that aired on October 19th, then I think you'll go, ha ha. And uh, that's all I'll say. So American Horror Story for me, I, I love it even though I have not loved all of the seasons. It's I, I admire very much what they do. I love that they bring back favorite cast members. I love that it's a different story every year uh, or every season. And I loved the first season, and I still do. Last season's Hotel I loved, and I, I think the first season's still my favorite, but Hotel I really, really liked. And the other seasons have all utterly failed me at some point in one way or another uh asylum we stopped watching after two or three uh, i'm sorry uh, asylum we got about halfway through and it just felt like it wasn't going anywhere so we stopped uh freak show we, we only got two or three episodes into that one if that far and just decided it was not for us uh and then the oh gosh what is the other season but anyway all of the seasons like halfway through just lose their focus. Oh, the witches, the one with the witches. I loved that one until they got to like maybe the sixth or seventh episode. And then once again, it just felt like they were meandering and, and lost their way. 
Uh, so that, and that's what tends to happen. But there are two seasons that, that I consider excellent and that I've watched a couple of times now. And then there's the current season, which I don't find as exciting as the other two, but might actually be a better, uh, concept overall, or might be a stronger season. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We will find out. But there, there are three shows, two of them spooky and uh one of them not spooky but just excellent well it's it is spooky there's some weird shit going on in westworld but three shows that i recommend you guys check out uh anything else happening halloweeny not really like i said uh i i haven't actually gotten out and done all that much but i do want to remind you last week we talked about the Halloween Puck and Fuppet Show, which is coming up on the 22nd at the Village Theater in Atlanta. If you haven't listened to last week's episode with Mr. Bo Brown and Gavin Cummins, please do. Uh, but even if you don't, come out to the Halloween Puck and Fuppet Show. You can go to Facebook and find the Facebook event that will tell you everything you need to know. I recommend that you bring some cash with you because it is going to make your entry into the Village Theater. I think it's ten bucks, uh, but it'll be on that event page that I just recommended. Uh, it'll be, make your entry into the Village Theater easier. And if any of the puppeteers have any goodies there that they're selling, because these guys need to make money, they're performers, and the the only the winners of the show because the show is a competition uh, take home any cash. So. Bring some cash for the cash bar and for your admission and for whatever else. I know nobody carries cash anymore. I certainly don't. But bring your cash to the Halloween Puck and Puppet Show where I will be hosting games of an adult nature. Not like sexy adult. Well, maybe a little. It depends on uh, how you guys decide to play them. So there you go. I think that's everything we've got for this week's intro. It is still 31 Days of Halloween. Please check out NeedlessThingsSite.com. For all of your spooky Halloween needs all month long. And now, here's a little bit of music before our conversation. Alright, Phantomaniacs, it is still 31 days of Halloween here on the Needless Things podcast, and I came up with a number of spooky topics that I thought might be good for the show before we even got to October, and one of those topics was found footage, as in Blair Witch Project, Paranormal Activity, stuff like that, where an illusion is created, and we're going to talk about that tonight, and the people that we're going to talk about that with are here with me on the show. First of all, welcome back. Beth, how are you doing tonight? I am fantastic, Phantom. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great uh, after an hour of issues with our beloved <laughs> Skype. Uh, but but fortunately, you guys were able to hang in there. And uh, when I say you guys, I'm talking about Beth and our guest, first-timer on the show, a guy that I got to meet at Dragon Con. And uh, somebody that I'm thrilled was able to come on, Doc Rotten from Horror News Radio. How are you doing, man? Doing great, Phantom. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, looking forward to this. And uh, yeah, go Skype. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> we, we had we had one of those very brief Dragon Con exchanges that was, hello, nice to meet you. All right, I have a thing to do now. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it was crazy. I, that was my first time at Dragon Con. And, uh, oh, wow. I'm what? addicted. 
I'm addicted. I'm I'm like I'm going every year as as long as my body holds out. Yeah, and that's the part. It's it's all about preparation. It's all about understanding. I uh, I turned forty this year, and the things parts of my body don't work as well as they used to, <laughs> and I have to. I have to think about uh, what my days are going to consist of and how many of them they're going to be. So are you guys ready to talk about uh, found footage, which is a subgenre of horror? Let's do it. I want to begin with uh, how each of you came into this or, or discovered this particular subgenre uh, maybe the first movie that you saw or the first one that impacted you or made you realize, hey, this is a thing that people are doing now, uh, your first sort of exposure to it. And I'll, I'll go ahead and start and tell you mine because it's it's really part of the reason why I wanted to do this show. Uh, Blair Witch Project was the first movie I saw that felt like, oh, this is a new thing. And I understand there are movies that predate Blair Witch uh, that use this format of supposed uh, discovered film, uh, tape, whatever the case may be, that has been put together to form a feature. But Blair Witch, I came across that in a purely organic way. I didn't know anything about the movie. I had a roommate who, at the time was kind of a forerunner on the internet. I didn't even have a computer back then. But this guy, this was 99, 98 maybe, uh, possibly a little earlier than that. Wh wh okay, what year did Blair Witch come out? 99. 99. Okay, so this, this would have been uh, probably early 99. And I knew nothing about the internet at all. But this guy's building chat rooms. Like, he's one of those guys. He was on the cusp. And he tells me about this weird thing that I don't think it was even called the Blair Witch Project at the time. He just said that there's this this weird movie out there that's about some kids that got lost in the woods. And he got sent a bootleg VHS of the movie. And this thing was presented as real, which, which was part of the genius of the marketing of it. So I went into the Blair Witch Project for the first time, one, not knowing really what it was, what it was called, but thinking that it was being proposed as a legitimate thing. So I sit down and I watch it and it, it's pretty interesting at first. And, and for, you know, for me of 17 years ago, I, I buy in a little bit at the beginning. I'm like, okay, I, you know, uh, because I had no reason to think it was anything other than legit put together footage that was probably going to end with some corny BS ending. Uh, and I sat and watched it, and eventually I got to the point where I was like, well, this is all bullshit. Because if they were this scared, there's no way they, they would keep recording. Because my perspective on it was that it was being passed off as real, and not that it was something that was being prepared for a theatrical release. Uh, but since then, I, you know, I get it, I understand it, I get what it's about, and I have a different view on it. But that was my first exposure to this type of film being sort of intentionally done in that way uh, and it was a weird introduction to it and later on we'll, we'll get into how I feel about the, the genre now uh, but Doc since you're the new guy here what's your what was your first exposure what's your, your found footage uh, cherry 
Well, well Blair Witch of, is the one, and uh, it's I have a similar but very different experience than you did because at that time I was working for a newspaper and I was building websites for the newspaper because that's what they were trying to do to stay alive. They're probably still trying to do something to stay alive. <laughs> And uh, so, you know, my buddies were also on the internet, and uh, I was following it, um, you know, at the time through, you know, the uh, the news that we had. I think Ain't It Cool News was just breaking at that point, where it was just one big long stretch of stuff that you could see, and and this was a buzz. And the site they had to support this, uh, you know, there's all this marketing we were talking about, but they had a website that was supporting this that had all this background. You know, it was made. Uh, pages and pages of stuff, you know, about the where they were, you know, the locations, who, you know, background about the witch. A lot of that stuff ended up on the. Uh, there was a uh, a show on Sci-Fi, like yes. a, a, like an hour or an hour and a half, a uh, little documentary about it that really sold the entire idea. And my friends, uh, even though they were very similar to me, you know, working at the newspaper as well at the time, they weren't following the horror genre as well. Um, so they didn't really know what was going on. At this point, I knew that this was it was all marketing. It was a film and everything. But they bought it, and they thought it was real. So I got to see the film, uh, and I saw it through their eyes a lot. Nice. <laughs> and that was such a great experience because they – one of them in particular was convinced it was – it was really a film that somebody found. Well, and, and that was a thing, man, because back then there was, I mean, there was debate. You know, people genuinely were, you know, the internet wasn't what it is now. People weren't, honestly, people weren't as cynical because we hadn't been exposed to as much. Yes, absolutely. And what, But it's interesting that it didn't really make that huge an impact as far as a subgenre. Uh, you know, found footage. It didn't create, you know, hundreds of other found footage films. And matter of fact, even when they did a sequel, it, it wasn't found footage. It was, uh, you know, traditional and then flopped miserably, uh, which is interesting because it really wasn't until, you know, later on when uh, Paranormal Activity and Cloverfield and uh, Wreck and some other films came along and kind of uh, juiced it all up. But uh, it made a huge impact as far as. Uh, uh, how it could reach everybody uh, and how much money it could make because it cost next to nothing and made millions of dollars and made a huge profit for the longest time. It was the, it was the highest grossing independent film. Yeah. That's an interesting point because I think it did. Uh, it, it really didn't have as much of an impact format wise. It was more about marketing. It had a huge impact on marketing and it had a huge impact on how people looked at the budget of horror movies. Yeah, even though it introduced found footage as a term, it didn't really introduce uh, the genre. Yeah, it did, well, it didn't. It didn't kick it off at the time. Yeah, which is kind of looking back, it's kind of like how did it not? <laughs> well, and again, happened. You know, again, it's just even though it's only seventeen years ago, times are so different now. Where now. If a new thing happens and is successful, every studio is jumping to replicate it. But back then, there was still – it wasn't quite as bad as it is now with that. Yeah, it was It was close to 10 years before it would really explode. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, Beth, what was your first experience? Was it the same as ours, or did you find something else? Yeah, unfortunately, um, mine was also Blair Witch. I did not see Cannibal Holocaust until much, much later. So I would say Blair Witch would be my first found footage film. And I think this was at the point where... My husband and I had just gotten our first place together. We'd bought our first computer, and so we were just learning the Internet and screwing around with the Internet, and we were addicted to that site, and we kept going back and forth between, was this real? Is this not real? I don't think this is real. I think this is fake. <laughs> and and just the amount of debate that we had in our own house, we're like, well, we're going to see this opening night because how can we not? And the theater was filled with dude bros, were screaming the entire time about, show us the fucking witch! Where's the witch? Oh, <laughs> and they really tried to ruin it for us, but still, that the ending, when you see Mikey standing in the corner, you're just like, oh, fuck! Yeah, 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 it's, uh, I mean, that ending is chilling, and, th- and that's the thing is, you know, at the time when I watched it, I-, I didn't have the right context, so I didn't appreciate it for what it was. Uh... And it's interesting because now I watched it again recently because I, I got the, you know, a few years ago, you could get the little box set that they did that had Blair Witch, Blair Witch 2, and all the PC games that came out. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, there were like three PC games that were, were prequel type deals. And it was like $5 for the whole box set. So, of course, I yeah. bought it just because. Uh, and much to my surprise, because I actually enjoyed the Blair Witch sequel the first time that I saw it, uh, but to my surprise, I enjoyed the original and did not care for the sequel this time around when I watched them. Uh, I, um, I I can't rewatch it. I try. He and I went back and tried to rewatch it a couple of years ago, and it just we're like, oh, we know what's going to happen. It doesn't have an impact anymore. Yeah, we know it's, she's it's, we know she's sniveling for nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's like a, it, it's it. like a Shama- uh, M Night Shyamalan movie. You can only watch it once. Once you know what's going to happen, who cares? <laughs> yeah, we rewatched it for a, a decades of horror episode uh, where we go back and look at the older films. And I was, uh, I was kind of, yeah, it, it's, it kind of bores you or, or annoys the hell out of you because these characters are they're just annoying as can be. The oh, and, and you you realize how bad the acting is and. <laughs> yeah, but what's amazing is there's a number of scenes that really stand out and have paved the way for what we're seeing today. The uh, close-up scene where you know now it's kind of a joke because the snot booger hanging out of her nose. Yeah, but yeah. The close-up <laughs> scene of her, you know, uh, I want to apologize to uh, their parents and say I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, it, it has such impact and emotion in context that it's uh, it, it is amazing. And then of course the last ten minutes where they're racing through the uh, the, the the cabinet so um, you know and it's minimalism and, and all it's really trying to do is is let you know what you can't see well, and, and the, the little handprints on the wall all that stuff is still super <laughs> creepy <laughs> and of course you see him standing in the corner and that makes your goosebumps have goosebumps and then the lights come up and you're like what well and that's it's to me it's very similar actually to the witch where it's not it's not even really a horror movie it's a thing about characters more so than it is about events 
uh, you know, Blair Witch is about these three people falling apart. It's not mm-hmm. really about a witch or, or anything else. It's about these three people getting lost, being isolated, and just losing their shit. Uh, and the witch, which I, I personally, I'm not a fan, but I appreciate what they did. I get it. It's about this puritanical family. Uh, and it's not about the witch stuff at the end. It's about these people. Uh, and still it's, didn't uh, like it. What's that? I still didn't like it. No, I didn't either. I didn't either. But I get what it's about. It's just not my thing. Uh, so moving on from Blair Witch, uh, we, we have, Doc, you said about 10 years later, and I, that's, that's about right. What kicked off the current storm? I feel like paranormal, paranormal activity was the next one that had a similar kind of marketing, similar hype, and really kind of set, set it off to where we are today. Yeah, I, it, there, and it also had like a long stretch of buzz because it it really came out. I think two thousand seven, two thousand eight. It's it's when it hit like a festival or two. Mm-hmm. Um, Spielberg bought it, um, and so it got a lot of buzz because some people had seen it, and and it had a lot of positive reviews, and everything was excited about it. So you started seeing actually other found footage films made it out before this one did. Uh, originally, they were going to remake it and uh and and do it and um and and at some point spielberg decided just to kind of nudge them to reshoot the ending a slight bit and then uh release it and then they um they had a pretty interesting marketing plan on that one as well they did midnight showings for a couple weeks before they released it in full and they you know so they had those neat shots for promo people were watching it in the theater and losing their you know losing their shit when people were which was great. That's a great way to get people in the in in the theater because that's what you want to experience. Oh, it got me and the wife in. I mean, after after the you know a couple of weeks or whatever of hype before it actually came out. I mean, we we weren't going based on any of the footage they showed. We were going based on those audience reactions. We were like, right. we we want to do that. We want to jump and scream like that. Right, and they hadn't done anything like that since the seventies, like around the Exorcist and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. at least as as far as that kind of impact, maybe. Uh, well, maybe with my M. Night Shyamalan's movie, but that wasn't in, you know, originally. That was after it had been out a while, and they realized what they had. But to promote the film right up out of the gate, yeah. And uh, But, yeah, we had, like, Cloverfield. We had uh, the Spanish film Wreck and then the Quarantine, the American version of it. And uh, and this is before, you know, every every Tom, Dick, and Harry was making one. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about Cloverfield because that's, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily fit in as well with the idea of a traditional horror movie, but, but it is absolutely, you know, can, can be categorized as that. Uh, I, we knew very little about it. Once again, the viral marketing on it was incredible. I mean, that you could teach college courses on what they did with Cloverfield, I, I think. And, you know, it had an engaging website. There was a lot of mystery about it. But it wasn't, to me, you know, sometimes I get annoyed by mystery. But I felt like they presented everything in in a compelling enough manner that it made you want to see what was going on rather than just tell me what this shit is about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and once I saw it, this Cloverfield was one of those experiences where I went and saw it. Uh, I got pulled into it 
And again, I had to think about what it was about before I could appreciate it. Because, of course, with any giant monster movie, or with a lot of giant monster movies, my reaction is almost always a certain degree of disappointment that we didn't see the monster more. But that's just a side effect of the storytelling that you have to use for a giant monster movie. You can't <laughs> just you can't just have a giant monster stomping around a city for an hour and a half. That's a shitty movie. You have to have you have to you know have stakes. You have to have char- characters that you're invested in. Uh, and looking back on it, I realized that I I do really love that movie. Do, have you guys both seen it? And, and what were your reactions to it? I um, did not see it in theaters. I saw it probably later when it came out on video, I probably rented it at Blockbuster or some such, if there was still such a thing at the time. Or I saw it on TV at some point. I I really, I liked it, but I'm not a show-me-the-monster kind of person. Mm-hmm. Because I am a... The, the terror is more terrifying if you can't see what it is. So I didn't want to see quite as much of the monster as we got to see. I thought it was much scarier when they were just running around like, oh, shit, we can't see what's happening. And then, of course, I always get it confused with South Park. Now I'm like, oh, well, the giant monster was just a guinea pig in a bumblebee suit, right? <laughs> oh, and that's way scarier. <laughs> oh, yeah, Clover, Cloverfield's one of my absolute favorites, and uh, I loved it in the theater. Well, you know, we were already – because the promotion had that great shot with the Statue of Liberty head bouncing down the street, yes. and uh, you know from that moment in the film on, it's just it's just this great ride. Uh, you know, the first twenty minutes I hear a lot of people complaining about, and uh, uh, but uh, yeah, once that happens, man, you're you're just into it. And and I love the idea that you know these people are just trying to avoid this creature who is just going around in circles inside this <laughs> inside the city, and they're just trying to get from point A to point B. And you just see him, like, uh, you know, bust through a building down the street or, he, you know, he's he, – one time he walks over top of them. Uh, next time they're actually – when they're at the building, when it's one's leaned over on the other and they're trying to get across. And there, here he comes, you know, plugging, plugging down the street and you can see him in the background and it, your heart races. And it's yeah. like, oh, and I love that feeling. Um, and I love how they – that approach to it uh, made – it gave a, a really interesting interesting perspective uh, to what a giant monster would look like roaming around New York City. Yeah, we had never seen one that looked like that. Uh, well, and at the time, I mean, really, all we had sort of was was Godzilla and his all of his buddies, King Kong, and not much else. Maybe a you know giant dinosaurs here or there. But I don't think we had seen anything with that kind of truly alien design as the the in the classic giant monster format, and that that was that was really surprising. You know, I you didn't know it was coming, and also the sound design on the movie was incredible because if you did see it in the theater, uh, Cloverfield will always stand out in my mind as one that was more of an experience than a movie because the sound was just unbelievable. Yeah. It was I, think all the- I, I think I also went into it thinking more about what JJ Abrams had done with lost and was expecting more of a amorphous smoke monster kind of mysterious. You don't know what it is kind of thing. Ah, so I think that did color me a little bit going into Cloverfield when I saw the monster I was like, what 
that's that's not mysterious smoke monster. What the hell is that? <laughs> yeah, and sound is a is a is a tough thing to bring into a found footage film because uh, you know you're not going to get that sound. Right, <laughs> so right, right. It, if you're if you're not careful uh, as the filmmaker, you're going to end up uh, you know, distancing, distancing distancing the film from the audience. They're going to realize, oh, okay, this is no longer found footage, and uh, some uh, some step over that. Well, you know what? That's actually a great opportunity for us to segue into something else. Before we get into more specific movies, I want to talk about the art of making a found footage movie because I think it's easy to look at the subgenre and sort of think, well, you know, they're cheap to make. You can throw people out there with, you know, now with a cell phone camera or, or whatever and just splice everything together. But. That simplifies it because you're still making a movie. You still have to create a narrative. You still have to have believable characters. And you're doing it in what's honestly a, a, a really a more restrictive format than standard filmmaking. Like there, there are a lot of rules if you're going to do found footage right. And like you said, that sound design. Uh, you know, the sound needs to be, it, it can't be beautiful, high quality sound, which, you know, Cloverfield, I, th- I think it's a little bit of a pass just because of, uh, they were a little more abstract about the origins of what we were looking at in certain places. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a theatrical thing. Uh, but what are, to you guys, uh, we'll, we'll just do, do one now. What, what is a cardinal rule? of a found footage movie? What's something that, that the creators have to be very mindful of so it doesn't take you out of the world? Well, the camera's the first thing because you got to establish the camera rule. Who's holding the camera? What kind of camera? What other cameras accent it? Because um, you get, you get uh, a lot of filmmakers will use uh, like surveillance footage mm-hmm. to accent things so you can get a different angle. Otherwise, you, you always get you know, it's stuck to somebody's face or head. You know, depending on what they're what they're holding. GoPro, of course, has been uh, a great asset too. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so the camera is the first thing, and then you've got to you've got to establish why they're going to keep filming. You didn't have to to do that so much. Um, uh, you know, even Blair Witch. You know, they're they're making a film, so that's why they're filming, and they're just not going to stop. And and I think even even they had to resort to. Uh, you know, uh, Heather, I think her name is saying, you know, whatever it is, film everything, film right, everything, right. don't stop filming. And you get that a lot. Um, over time, that becomes kind of a trope. And you've got to be careful about that. Um, so newer ones, newer found footage films, you, you know, you, you find these creative ways for people to do it. You know, they'll have uh, one of them, uh, I think uh, Jerusalem had Google glasses uh, that she, she had to wear because her, her other glasses got uh, crashed or destroyed, so she had to wear it. And, uh, you know, the GoPro, they'll put the GoPro on, forget they have it, and they're yeah. just running around with it. Um, uh, but a lot of them still resort to, uh, you know, film everything. Don't stop filming, and you hear that over and over. Uh, one of the, real quick before we move on to the next one, one of sure. the most interesting ones that I want to spotlight is in the third Paranormal Activity one. And the great thing about paranormal activity is that they're trying to prove there's a ghost in the house. So they want to film all the stuff and they want something to happen because they want to film it happening. So 
up, there, you know, there's um, somewhere there's a line where, okay, you need to stop filming and get the hell out of the house. But until then, it all really, really works. And the the point is, is that you've got to get the acceleration happening so fast that you don't stop at that line. Uh, one of the things they were doing in the third one that was uh, incredibly inventive was they took a, a fan, right? One of those little rotating fans mm-hmm. and they put the camera on the fan. So it would pan back and forth, which is something that naturally a director or a person wouldn't do. Right. But because they put it on the fan, it would do this and it would start at the kitchen and it would move over to the door and then go back to the kitchen, move over to the door. So as these characters moved into the scenery and did these things, it created this, um, anticipation of, you know, did I see it? Will I see it? Yeah. What am I going to see? And, um, and, and, you know, of course it ends in that great gag with the, the, the thing disappearing, but the, um, uh, I think it's a sheet, right. That flops and falls away. Everybody goes, Ooh, uh, yeah, I'm trying to but, remember exactly because I, rem- I remember the technique because it, it was I, I admired it for being a way to sort of create uh, even artificial suspense without anything happening. Right. Uh, but it's it has been a while. Paranormal Activity is one of those franchises that I can't nail down what happened in each movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to go back and revisit them because some are better than others. Uh and also the fact that they actually did tie the story together throughout the franchise uh, is is it, it's compelling. It makes me want to go back and revisit them and see, like, oh, that's right, this thing happened in this one. Yeah. So I, I guess the first point is the camera. You gotta you gotta establish where the camera is. And that's that's one of my sticking points. Actually, is the what you said about why are they still filming? That's something that I, out of the techniques you have to use and things you have to be mindful of, why are they still filming is one that I'm a real stickler for. And it, it, you know, yeah, Heather and Blair Witch said film everything, but it got to a point where I was like, come on, you guys, you're afraid for your life. Let's drop the camera. And, and now though, as you said, technology is different. We have the advantage of the GoPro and things like that, or, to go in a completely different direction, uh, a film which I, I've I, conversations that I've had opinions very widely, but I thoroughly enjoyed Unfriended. Ooh, yes, yeah. Because we watched it, uh, I didn't see it in the theater, and I don't think it's a theater movie. Uh, we watched it on the TV, a smaller screen. I think benefits the story that they're trying to tell, and I th- I thought it was brilliant the way that they did it. Now. You know, narrative-wise, maybe it's not the greatest thing ever, but it's not about the narrative. It's about the format that they're using to tell that story, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, there's been a, there's been a few of those that have used uh, social media, uh, uh, video media, to enhance the story where they're doing it. You know, some of them use Skype, like we're doing now, and the yes. other thing. Um, and you know, usually it's what's happening behind the characters when they don't realize it, or there's an odd. You know, text and who's who's texting that and 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 you know you um, it also is something that we as the audience are typically experiencing. Maybe not everyone, but most of the audience you know knows what they're using or is in that that vein. So when you see something that shouldn't be there, you know, if that were to happen to you, you can quickly um, put yourself in their place and 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 amp up the intent, uh, 
all the scares and stuff. Well, and that that's definitely what what got to me about that one because watching it, you know, they they were using Skype for the movie, so the ringtone was the same. Uh, the situation was, you know, gosh, what would you do in this situation? This is creepy. Like it, it was very effective, I thought. Uh, Beth, what what is uh, when you're watching a found footage film? Uh, what's something that kind of will, will take you out of it if they don't get it right? What, what's the stuff that you look for? Well, before I break into that, let me just say about filming, uh, besides either of those two things you guys mentioned, I also like the documentary aspect when they go after that or a documentary crew and we're filming what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like in uh, uh, Taking of Deborah Logan or Sacrament. Yeah. So it gives them a different reason to be filming the whole time because they're not directly involved. They're just observing what's going on. Right. You're doing your job. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, that's, and those two were both really creepy. Yeah. And that's a good – yeah, Taking of Deborah Logan's fantastic. Um, yeah. And, and that does – it's kind of – even if the scares get to the point where you're like, why are you still filming, guys? They It does kind of give them a pass at the beginning. Like it's like, okay, everybody – Here's a documentary thing that's happening, so everybody gets it right. Okay, let's go. Do, let's go watch the movie. Like it's it's one of yeah. those ways of saying, okay, audience, here's what's up. So but what's your uh, what what's your important my, my bit? thing is my thing is not the music as much as as it is the sound. So if you're supposed to be tromping through the woods, I need to hear the branches that you step on. I need to hear the wind whistling by you i need to hear everything that's going on around you and if you don't have the right bully work and the right atmospheric sounds happening i will immediately tune out so so if you're if you're in a creepy house i need to hear the creaks and the groans and and everything that's going on if you're trapped in outer space i need to hear those weird Bumps that come out of nowhere and kind of reverberate throughout the halls. If you're on a Spanish ghost galleon, you need to hear the lanterns creaking <laughs> every time the ship moves. Really, really loudly. <laughs> the loudest lanterns ever. <laughs> Sorry, that is an inside joke, a reference to one of the Blind Dead movies with the most incredible Foley work ever. Ghost galleon. Yes. Every time they walk by a lantern, it's... And every time somebody took a step, it was <laughs> just the whole ship shook. <laughs> I saw uh, one found footage film. It was an alien, you know, because there's ghost stories and alien stories seem to be the ones that get the most attention. Uh, but it was an alien story and, and, and they were out, you know, in the wild. Um, but instead of trees and, and, you know, Twigs crackling. You heard all these crickets, and the sound was so loud. It was like overfolied, and it was just it. It was the opposite of what you're talking about. Right. It was like this is this is clearly you guys don't understand what balance is. Right. You've got crickets on a loop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or they're trying to for that. Or they're trying to cover up nearby use- traffic with cricket noise. Yeah, yeah. That too. yeah, that's probably what it was. <laughs> <laughs> just, just crank the crickets. Crank up those crickets. Hi, uh, there. <laughs> so there, there are, you know, it's a complicated thing. You know, found footage, I think, is a, a volatile uh, subgenre because not everybody loves it. But when it's done right, I think it's very effective. 
not just storytelling, but an immersive experience, like with Unfriended, where you're sitting there watching it, and it can make you uncomfortable about you know the technology that we're using. Uh, I also want to talk a little bit about the different techniques that the found footage can be presented, because sometimes you just sit down and it's, here's this thing starting. Uh, but sometimes you have something like VHS, uh, mm, yeah. which I love all three of those movies, um, where there is a framework to what's going on. And I kind of like when you have, well, one, I really like anthology found footage because when you're doing something that's found footage, you, you have to be very conscious of the pacing and the fact that you know, supposedly some mysterious person somewhere is splicing all of this footage together to some effect. Now, in general, that effect would involve maybe eight hours of stuff put together because they're trying to get across, Here's here is the information about this thing I'm trying to show you. You know, it's, it's the idea isn't necessarily that somebody is making a feature film. But with VHS, you have this framework where these guys are in this house and have found this collection of VHS movies. Uh, we, right, which, and, the first, and the first one, that's fine. But how many people are sitting around making VHS anthologies three movies later? <laughs> that's when it's hard to believe. Well, but at that point, I, I feel like I've accepted the conceit. Uh, and, and viral, I thought, was a good way to kind of refresh that. I think they did a good job with, with making it something a little bit different. Uh, but... Like I said, the anthology format makes it a little bit easier because you've got these shorter form, uh, bite sized stories that, that you just kind of take in and it's time for the next one. Yeah. And they, and they've done some interesting things with the camera stuff to, to kind of circle around. Like, uh, you know, they put the GoPro on the guy that had the accident and he turned into a zombie. Mm-hmm. Yes. Movie. Yes. And then they had the other one where he had the eyeball that had the camera in it. So, well, then what are you going to do? You know, you're always going to have the camera that's in your eye. So, right. um, uh, so yeah, it it does that. But another thing that that film introduced that has uh, that has a problem with that we could talk about is shaky cam, and that's one of the things that found footage has to deal with carefully because mm-hmm. uh, it wants to you know people run and you're holding a camera you want to shake it but if you do it too much it has an adverse effect on the audience. Yes, uh, yeah. There's no way around that because even me, I've got uh, I don't have really motion sickness issues. I've never had. Uh, I'm not particularly sensitive to that kind of thing, but some of these movies, have, you know, they'll they'll make you know even my iron stomach churn uh, with with some of the shooting for realism, I guess, that they go for. I just get a headache trying to watch that stuff. Just like, no, uh, my eyes aren't that good. I can't focus on all this stuff you're trying to do. <laughs> just, just hold it still for like a second so I can see what's happening. Yeah, and you know what? That's that's actually a really good point because there have there have been times in plenty of these movies where I have thought, you know, you could just take a second to to stop that. Right, just just stand still for like just one second. But unfortunately, a lot of the times it's it's not only are they going for oh somebody's running with a camera or shaking or whatever the case may be, but they're also trying to cover up some subpar you know, makeup effects or action or whatever the case may be. Like, it, it also, unfortunately, is sometimes uh, covering flaws with what's going on. <laughs> or, or padding the film. Uh, yeah. But it, 
it, it is slightly better than the opposite, which uh, the Gallows did, which is, I believe it was the Gallows, I'm pretty sure it was the Gallows, where they stopped and the, they had the camera pan down and we got to stare at the people's feet for like five minutes. Oh, yeah. And, and you know what? I get what they were doing <laughs> because, uh, you know, I, I yes, let's do something a little different. Uh, how would people behave that were just carrying this camera around? But, yeah, you're right. That was That was bad stuff. And actually, overall, I ended up, not really enjoying that movie uh, a whole heck of a lot. Uh, so VHS uh, the, hit the anthology thing, which I think is an effective way to present this subgenre. Uh, and then, John, earlier you mentioned Quarantine. Yes. Which uh, was adapted from Record, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, it's, it's REC, but I always call it Rec, but yeah. that's what it means. Yeah, and they have one now called R- RWD, which of course is Rewind. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I can hardly wait for I can hardly wait for to come out. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I saw Quarantine before, and we, uh, me and the misses went through a phase where we were watching nothing but foreign movies, like Japanese stuff, Italian stuff, Spanish stuff, uh, and then it's almost like we got overexposed, and we were so sick of subtitles that we couldn't even deal with foreign stuff anymore. Uh, but this, this came at a time where we were, we would watch, you know, a foreign version of something and watch the import version. And this was a case where I think I actually ended up liking quarantine a bit more than I liked, uh, the original version or at least finding it more effective for me personally. And I think it was more of a cultural shift than it was the execution of the movie. And I believe it had the same director. Uh, and then it was different, but uh, oh, for it? me, it was Jennifer Carpenter that really sold it for me. Of course, it, she was in Dexter at the time. So, yes, yes. Um, that was uh, one of the reasons why I enjoyed it. You're the only person I've heard say, other than myself, to say they like Quarantine better than Rec. Now, Rec 2 is a different story. Exactly. But <laughs> I, I agree 100%. Well, I, and like I said, I think a lot of times when you're dealing with an adaptation, uh, if if the execution of the American version is even close to as good as the foreign version. I will find that purely for cultural reasons, I you know I can identify with American characters more. There's just no way around that. Uh, you know, if if everything is is equally competent, then I just identify with you know people in New York more than I identify with people in Beijing. Just there there are differences to how uh, cultures produce movies. Uh, portray characters and there are emotions and conversations and reactions and things that are unique to other cultures that don't translate as well so uh, you know that that's and i think that's the case with this movie well i think uh, this is one of those rare instances where the remake is almost equal to the original and it's it's not in a lot of other cases like the ring versus ringu and yeah and the grudge and, and all of those Japanese movies, the American versions are not as good. But well, and don't get me, me wrong, I still I still appreciate the Ring and the Grudge, the American versions. But they're both good, but they're not as good. Well, and I, I find the the originals to be more effective horror films. Right, but but this one to me, it's it's almost equal ground, and that's really really rare for me for a remake yeah. from a foreign film. Yeah, and they were made pretty close to each other. So uh, I think we, in the States, we got, for most people, uh, Quarantine came available first. So, 
Now, I want to touch on uh, something interesting because Beth and I had a disagreement about George Romero's foray into the found footage <laughs> field. I'm going to end up getting divorced after this. <laughs> I've already been threatened. Uh, Doc, what what is your feeling about Diary of the Dead? Oh, I, I like to forget that it happened. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's it's um, uh, yeah. There, there's a whole hour that you could talk about <laughs> what happened there with Romero and his. Could, his could, could you come to my divorce hearing and, and <laughs> be on my side? <laughs> oh, I'm not allowed. I'm not allowed to speak ill of Unky George. Yeah, yeah. Anything after what Land of the Dead, maybe you have right to. Um, after Land of the Dead, really? Yeah, I I wasn't a fan of Land of the Dead, and actually uh, came to Diary of the Dead, you know, not expecting a whole lot, and ended up enjoying it. And apparently, I'm one of the very very few that did. You know, and I came with low expectations too, and it still and it didn't me. meet them. <laughs> did not meet oh, my low expectations after seeing John Leguizamo become a zombie. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but, it, but it was interesting that I like the idea that this format uh, sort of sparked something in Romero. And, and he looked at it and said, you know what, I'd like to, to play with that. And, his, you know, his success in it is, is debatable or apparently is not very debatable. But you I, know what it is? You know what sparked it, though, is that he didn't have any funding. It was the cheapest way for him to make a movie because Land of the Dead bombed so badly. Nobody wanted to give him any money to make a movie after that. But I think if he didn't see something in the format, he he wouldn't have done it. Because he's a guy that, uh, while results may vary, I do think he's been passionate about everything that he's done. No, I will, I will not deny his passion. The, the outcome, questionable sometimes, but he, he does believe in what he does. And yeah, I, I'd, I'd rather just watch Creepshow again. Yes, I'll, I will agree <laughs> with you about that 100%. Uh, in, in most things, as a matter of fact. Ah, there you go. So oh, as we, uh, we're actually getting to the point where we're going to start bringing this thing home, and what I want to do is talk about some of our favorites uh, from the found footage subgenre, uh, ones that have maybe sort of come out of nowhere and surprised us or ones that have stuck with us as, as sort of the, the top-tier examples of what this format can do. And I want to talk about one that I only recently discovered uh, a few months ago because it popped up on Netflix and a friend of mine recommended it to me, and that is Creep. Oh, wow. Oh, I want to watch that so bad. I just saw it tonight that it had Mark Duplass in it, and it, I love that guy. It is. I, then, since you have not seen it, and since I, I'd be willing to bet most of our listeners haven't because it seems to have flown under the radar for a lot of people, uh, to me... It is, as I said, one one of the prime examples, one of the top-tier found-footage-style movies. Uh, the story is told in a brilliant manner. It's compelling. And it is... It's fucking scary. It it really is. It, 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 uh, Doc, have you seen this one? I, I have. And if you are a fan of Mark Duplass, you, you know, this is uh, an exercise in his acting ability. You'll, you will love it. <laughs> because he he is everything of this film. Him and I'm whatever suit is for. 
Yeah. You, you I, can't take your eyes off him. Yes. Yes. Great film. Uh, so I, I recommend uh, to Beth and to everybody else out there, uh, check out Creep as soon as possible. Hopefully it's still on Netflix. Uh, but if not, this one gets the Phantom, the, the Amazon Prime Phantom recommendation. If you've got Amazon Prime, just go ahead and order this thing. It's probably not more than 15 bucks, and it's worth every penny. What about you guys, Beth? Have you got a favorite uh, found footage film? Um, well, not that we haven't already discussed, so I'm going to just quickly bring up one that we did not touch on or uh, even a genre that we didn't much touch on uh, would be Europa Report, hmm. which is an outer space horror found footage movie. Um, Apollo 18-ish kind of. Uh, if you haven't seen any of those, then it would be like The Martian, but if it were scary. <laughs> it's got Charlotte Copley, who's always awesome. Love that guy. Uh, but it's a group of astronauts that fly to Europa, and there's monsters under the water, and, and bad things happen. It's terrible things, but it's all footage that is filmed back to NASA, so there is that inherent knowledge in everyone in the movie that shit we're stranded on a ice cube no one can come save us right right we're, so that to me is always super creepy yeah whatever we find we're dealing with yeah so it's we have to deal with this nobody's coming to save us and and then they also show it from the point of view of the people who are sitting back at houston or wherever they are watching this going oh shit everybody's gonna die and we can't save them what are we gonna do nothing okay Interesting. I'll, I will put that in the queue or whatever. It, it is on. Know. It is on Netflix. Last I checked, that's where I watched it. But okay, it, it cool. was really good. It also starred uh, Michael uh, Nyquist, the guy from uh, the original Girl with Dragon Tattoo. Oh, nice. So it's got a bunch of good actors in it. Really good. Highly recommended. Especially yeah. if you like outer space horror. <laughs> Speaking of Charlotte Copley, have you have you seen Hardcore Henry, which is a uh, a kind of a variation on found footage because it's. Uh, it, it looks like first, it would make me nauseous. It you get used to it quick. Uh, yeah, it, it's um, yeah because it's basically he's recording everything through his eye. He's kind of got a bionic eye and uh, the hardcore Henry guy. Uh, but it's uh, that one's a fascinating. And, and when I've read about it, everybody says, "Oh, it's it's like you're playing a first person shooter, but you're not playing." Well, to me, it's like, well, then why don't I just go play it? Because <laughs> I have those. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I've I've got another recommendation about her. Actually, our our pal and sponsor, Belligerent Monkey, uh, sent me a message saying that it ended up being really great, and that it was not the nausea-inducing vomit fest that we kind of expected it to be. <laughs> okay, well, I, I will I will check it out at some point. Yeah, it has a couple of really unique moments that it's worth thinking. Um, I, I like foreign uh, films that dive into, you know, like Wreck, and that one is as well uh, a foreign film. And uh, another one that I'd like to recommend is Troll Hunters. I have, I don't know why I haven't watched that yet. I have no I idea have why I haven't that. watched it. It was hilarious. It's oh my! It's well, it's another thing that you need in a film is good characters, and this one has it. Especially the Troll Hunter himself. He's such a fascinating character, and and how he. Um, you know his history and his is the way he uh, treats his job because troll hunting is his job. You know it's a secret 
uh, agency <laughs> that has to go out and keep track of these, keep these trolls uh, secret. And uh, these filmmakers are on to him, and uh, he kind of he's tired and old and wants to you know kind of let them know about it. And, and uh, so you get you know up close uh, encounters with uh, you know whole gaggle of trolls, and it's just uh, it's it's at times it's scary and it's always funny, and you and you and you find yourself uh, caring for these. Uh, uh, these characters and uh, and what happens and it's uh, the effects sometimes feel like you know you know they show their budget but at the same time it it, it works in the context uh, there there's one point where he's on a bridge and he's dressed up in like pseudo uh, kind of like a um, <laughs> like somebody was cosplaying as a knight. <laughs> and and the trolls under the bridge and uh and when it comes up and attacks him it's it's just this great little scene uh, this is fun stuff fun stuff uh something similar to that but this one's american uh and it's uh off a little off topic because it's not necessarily horror but it's chronicle oh i'm so glad you brought I, that up because that's on my list that movie i tried oh you tried I watching tried. it you couldn't get through I it? I tried, and then I was just like, I don't fucking care about any of these people. Why do they have powers? Go away. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I enjoyed it. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And actually, that that's pro- that movie is probably the biggest reason I, I went to see Fantastic Four. Yeah. Ooh. That was that was a bad movie. See, that's, that's a problem with that movie, then. <laughs> that movie made you see another piece of crap. <laughs> no, I, I thoroughly enjoyed Chronicle, though. I thought... Uh, I loved the approach, uh, you know, not just the way that it was done, but that it's kind of a meta response to all the superhero stuff that's out there now. Mm. Like, if you if you got these powers, would you really be going and getting kittens out of trees and stopping bank robberies? I I, I liked that very much about it. Yeah, and it was personal too because he, you know he all his actions the the one guy that we follow the that has the bad turn. You know, everything is is explained in his character, which yes. is really a great thing, and the part that I liked about it. Um, another thing that they do in that film is explain the camera again, and you know he has the power to move things with his mind, so he wants everybody to see him. So he has all the cameras like floating around him at yeah. one point, and that was a. I was just absolutely fascinated with how they they use that to film. What would otherwise be nearly impossible to do in a found footage format? Yeah, that I mean, they they managed to create a believably epic scenario while still staying within that. You know, here here's your small camera, here's your personal you know, filming device idea. So, are there any movies that we? Didn't touch on any things that you you guys might have brought to it that that you wanted to talk about before we sign off. Oh, there was one thing because I when I go to recorder show, I always like to check and see what other people on the internet are saying about certain things so that I don't trod over too much ground that's already been well trod. Sure. Uh, many many list of the best found footage horror movies included the movie Man Bites Dog. And I would just like to make sure that everyone knows for the record, that is not a horror movie. <laughs> because several sites said, oh, it's a documentary crew following a serial killer. He's a hitman. It's a comedy. Not a horror movie. 
But it is fast. Great movie. <laughs> Not a horror movie. <laughs> Just want to make sure that's clear for everybody. Fact checker Beth keeping everybody in line. <laughs> Uh, one, one last one I wanted to bring up that, that I, you know, as I look back over my list here, it didn't come up is Willow Creek. Ah, yes. I haven't seen that. Pair uh, that with exist. Yeah. I, I recommend it. It's, uh, I am not a fan of the outdoors. I am not a fan of camping. And this played on that very very well uh but i think even if you are you can kind of relate to the characters and what they're doing and kind of feel their fear i think this is one where the acting for me sold the story as much as anything else because these people were were to me very very believable doc did you see this one yes yes um uh, there's a moment in the film i think it's about 19 minutes long that i realized i was holding my breath yes Yes. That's, a, that's the one that was directed by Bobcat, right? Correct. Yep. Yes. And and it's it's another one where people seem to be a little divided over how they feel about it, but uh it's 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 a Bigfoot movie. Yep. And it I found it to be very very effective and very scary, you know, in as far as things scare me now. Uh, and yeah, like Doc said, there was a long, long stretch where I, I, I sort of went, <gasps> like it, it, it had an edge of, edge of your seat, uh, for sure. Uh, a couple of segments really that, that were very intense and well done. So that's, uh, that's our found footage. I think we covered a number of different things. We covered some of the aspects of the genre and why it's appealing and some of the things that filmmakers have to consider when they're putting together a found footage movie. Uh, Doc and Beth, I want to thank you both for coming on the show. And before we go, where can we find you online and what are you up to? Beth, I know you finally did it. You finally signed up to be a twit with the rest of us. Where can we find you? Where can we find you on Twitter? Well, I try not to be obnoxious about it, but I promise to update more than I update my Google Plus, which is like <laughs> once a year. <laughs> in case in case Facebook implodes, I just keep Google Plus up to date. But I am at Needless Beth on Twitter, and you can always find me on NeedlessThingsSite.com. That's right. Every uh, every Tuesday this month, uh, when when you don't have insane when I don't have things, emergency PowerPoint. Uh, right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Beth's got stuff up uh, pretty much every Tuesday uh, this month and every other Tuesday. And last month. month. Come on. Yeah, that's right. You've been on it lately. So so what you're saying is from now on, every Tuesday you'll have something. Uh, sure. Visit needlessthingssite.com <laughs> to find out how well Beth does with her Tuesdays. And, uh, Doc, where can we find you online? Um, I am uh, the editor-in-chief at, over at gruesomemagazine.com, where we have a lot of reviews and articles and uh, uh, TV show reviews as well. Um, I'm the host of Horror News Radio, which you can find at horrornewsradio.com, and Decades of Horror, which we do 70s version and an 80s version. Um, and you find that at Gruesome Magazine as well. And right now I am the co-host of the American Horror Story Fan Podcast, also at Gruesome. Uh, that show is uh, kicking it for the uh, sixth season and uh, doing a great job of it. So. Yeah, you know what? Real quick before we go, we're going to tag something on at the end here since you brought up American Horror Story. Two things totally unrelated. Uh, well, I guess American Horror Story to a certain extent uh, has that vibe, even though it's more of a uh, documentary show type thing 
Uh, but but real quick, two unrelated things. I want to talk about American Horror Story really quick. Are you both watching it? Obviously, Doc, you are. Beth? Mm, I I tried to watch the first episode of the next the new season, and I, I was like, I, I don't understand what's happening. It's, it's a dramatization of... I, I don't get it. That's what I liked about it, though. I like that they're doing something completely different and that it's it's very odd. And the hotel one last season turned me off immediately in the first episode with oh, the... what? I loved the, Hotel. The man rape at the beginning. God, mm-hmm. that was awful. It happens. It yeah, happens. but it was with ghosts and giant golden drill. <laughs> yeah, sure. No. <laughs> that happens all the time. No, I, uh, I. Matter of fact, Hotel was my second favorite season of them all. Doc, where where do you stand on them right now? I, this season is is quickly becoming my favorite. I am oh, loving. It. Wow. I think it actually, I think it actually has gotten its scary back. I, uh, I will give it another chance as soon as I finish Luke Cage. I've got like three episodes of Luke Cage left. <laughs> it's better, Luke Cage. Um, the, <laughs> the fifth episode. Um, is it has things that will scare the crap out of you, and and it American Horror Story has kind of it, it's been American Horror Story has been more about pushing the envelope uh, or or grossing us out than making it scary. Yeah. Um, except for maybe the first season in, in cases, and this one has just done a great job. And they're supposed to be shaking it up tonight, so I'm, I'm excited to see what they're going to do. And the talking head thing, you know, where they're dramatizing it, um, has really worked out in the long run the first episode i don't think they quite had it yeah. but by the time the fifth episode has and they have like an expert come on and she's telling a backstory uh you know it just really starts to get into a groove and uh amazing but uh asylum is is what was my favorite up until then um and i'm a big pepper fan so <laughs> I, I liked the first season a lot yeah, yeah. i, I love the first season uh and I didn't like any of the other ones until Hotel. Well, I take that back. I liked uh, the witch season with the witch school up until like the fifth or sixth episode. And then I felt like it kind of fell apart. That's the problem it has almost every season. Yeah. You know, it has that up until this year, they always had the first four. The fourth one would end on Halloween, mm-hmm. um, literally that week. And it would have a Halloween episode. And then it would like, just clumsily go along um, yeah. and hit me after that. It was, uh, uh, it's been kind of a thing. So the, the other <laughs> well, thing, somebody, I, somebody oh, I work with told me that there's, there's supposed to be some kind of big surprise at, at like mid season ish. Well, yep. tonight is and they're supposed to flip it completely. There's so. supposed to be some kind of game changer tonight. So as soon as we're done, that's what, that's what I'm going to watch. But real quick, uh, the, the exorcist. Oh my God, this is the best thing on TV. Right. <laughs> Right, I love Father Marcus. I love Father uh, uh, Tomas. Oh my God! It's, it is. It's my favorite new show of the year. My favorite show right now, by far. It's the best thing no one is watching. I know, and it I, makes me so sad because I'm so afraid they're going to cancel it because it's on Fox on Friday nights. I haven't seen it yet. I, I sometimes I stay home on Friday nights, but I'm usually not watching TV. Well, Beth, out of all the stuff that I've ever recommended to you. The Exorcist gets my highest recommendation to anyone, anybody listening. Uh, it's it is, and, and I was, I didn't have any idea what it was going to be going in, and I never could have imagined that it is what it's turned into. Uh, the the okay, it is, I, I may, 
I may get banned from hanging out with you forever, but I didn't like the Exorcist movie. You, you don't have to. You don't <laughs> okay. Have to. Okay. It's, That's true. No. Although it does reference it. It does. It does. There's I mean, a, I, I've seen it, but uh, well, it, no, it, you don't it have. It didn't to, scare me. It bored me. Have, I didn't care. You don't even have to have watched the movie for this. Okay. Excellent. This this is its own thing, and it's really about something entirely different from any of the Exorcist movies. Uh, I mean, there are elements that that I guess could tie in, but this is is a big show. It it is broadening its scope with every episode. Uh, The story is so much more than what you would expect from something called The Exorcist. I'm very impressed. Yeah, the way they're challenging Dr. uh, Dr. Marcus, Father Marcus... (laughs) You know, it's pretty amazing, you know, because he's he's the he's a priest that's a go getter. You know, he's always um, challenging uh, the demons uh, and he is he goes up uh, to he meets this nun who shows him a different way. And uh, he has to use that way in a particular example uh, in the story. And it's something we've never seen before. Right. Exactly. It's it's the, it's really a great show and, uh, and people need to discover. it. I hope they give it life because they've done that before. Um, you know, Friday nights is a night that, you know, a show like this can survive even with lower ratings. Hannibal did it for three years. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's true. Um, and, and this that is, was a great show and it was a fantastic show. Um, uh, this, this is, it's not this, it's not equal to it and nothing is, <laughs> but, but it is on par with, uh, uh, for being that kind of show on a Friday night. So. Here's the thing though, is that here's, what's great about Netflix and, why I think they should give TVs a, a longer life to see how they do on Netflix is because it's so much easier for me to get into something when I can watch two and three episodes in a row. Sure, sure. Rather than try to keep track of when it's on or is it on my DVR or is it on demand or do I have time to sit down and watch two episodes with all the damn commercials that you can't fast forward through anymore. I'd rather just watch it on Netflix and just just go. Well, and, so and that's my body decides it's time to stop and go to and bed. That is what all of the cable companies uh, and television channels are terrified of. Yes, exactly. They're trying to embrace that. So, it's ending on a different kind of terror than I thought we would. <laughs> uh, guys, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, I will talk to both of you sooner than later. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. So I've been watching uh, a lot of horror stuff, uh, as I do, well, really all year round, but I certainly zero in on it more during October. And I've been reviewing this year, my classic franchise to revisit has been Friday the 13th. And, you know, I'm actually watching them with kind of a mind towards how good are they really. And I'm not talking about, like, in the ground... Uh, tradition of cinema, where do these fit in? I'm just talking about as, as great fun movies you can watch over and over again. My, you know, my perfect choice of which is Big Trouble in Little China. And from there, you know, that's something I can put in literally any time I watch. And I'm looking at the Friday the 13th movies and sort of judging them in the same criteria of, of fun and how interesting they are and how appealing the characters are. And man, these things really don't pick up until part five. Uh, and this is something that Ryan Cadaver said when we were doing the commentary on the thing. He said part five was where it got interesting. And the first one is great because 
it, it actually is a good slasher flick and it set the foundation for a lot of things. But then parts two and three are not great. Four is okay because it uh, introduces Tommy Jarvis who goes, you know, on into part five. So you kind of need to have the, the foundation of part four. And then six is where shit gets crazy. So that's where I'm at now. I'm getting ready to watch part six. I hope you guys have your spooky viewing prepped, ready to go. Remember, visit supportphantom.com. Check it out. Look for the exclusive content over there. Five days a week, needlessthingssite.com. And once a week, every Friday, the Needless Things podcast. Thanks for listening. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vic's employee. And of course, it's at needlessthingssite.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh. <laughs>